Surely we have more sense than that, don't we? <laughs> some of us guys may think back to some moments in their own lives when they've <laughs> done something similar. Um, we, we are digging into a series, and we titled it Playing With Fire because fire is a very useful thing. I mean, if you're, you're out in the woods, you need to learn to build a fire. You need fire in the home to heat it. Uh, to cook with, you, you need some source fire. It's very, very helpful uh, to us. But it's also something that we have to respect because there's tremendous amount of power in, in fire. Just one little spark can ignite a flame that whoosh takes off. There are three pursuits in life, three things that we have in our lives that God really wants us to enjoy. They're important things to us. Uh, God wants us to enjoy them. They're very exciting or fun or vital to making life work. But they can be extremely incendiary uh, if we get things out of order in the way that we handle them and ignite a flame that creates an explosion that causes a great deal of damage. E- each of these things we're looking at are like this. We're playing with fire when we deal with these things, and uh, so we need to take precautions. Precaution is a word that means a measure taken in advance to prevent something dangerous, unpleasant, or inconvenient from happening. So we're, we're going to look at some scriptural perspectives. When you're playing with fire, you know those guys are messing around and playing with different fire in different ways, and and they haven't actually thought through the whole picture, have they? (laughs) They haven't been circumspect. That's a great word. It's an old word. We don't use it so much anymore. But they haven't looked all around the issue at all the things that could possibly happen as they do what they're about to do. And that's how it is with these things we're going to talk about. We're going to explore what the Bible says about money, sex, and power to determine the order God has established for these so that we're able to protect important stewardships in life. By keeping things in the right order, uh, we find God's blessing and his best in life. This is what he wants. So we're going to dig into this. God, God wants us to prosper and gain the rich benefits that come with these things, money, sex, and power. Each of these are good things that God provides And when used for God's purpose in the right order, within the boundaries that he's provided, they're fantastic. They they are really good things. The danger comes when we use them selfishly. We all have a bent for that. But when we use these things selfishly, it cheapens our experience in life tremendously. So in this series, we're going to look at God's order. For those three things, money, sex, and power. Today we're talking about money. And when we use money selfishly, what do we say? We're greedy. That's the word. When we get greedy, we're being selfish with with our money. And there are several kinds of explosions that can flow out of getting greedy with our money. One of those is that it separates us from our family and friends. Uh, we build a wall between ourselves and others when we get stingy or greedy. You know, it's like every little decision that we make that's a stingy decision is like adding a block to the wall. And over time, we build this wall and we create distance between ourselves and others. Greed 
also drives debt. That creates a crater, sort of an implo, you know, explosion that creates this crater that's hard to crawl out of at times. It can result in years of financial slavery to the debt and maybe even bankruptcy where there's just this big explosion and we, we've got to the point where we can't deal with it. Another explosion that happens is losing everything because you've tried to get ahead in the wrong way, in a questionable way. Maybe you, you can't bring yourself to say it's the wrong way, but at least it's questionable. And taking advantage of the privilege at work or something like you get caught and fired. That's an explosion. Um, economic downturns that you aren't ready for. Another kind of explosion. All of a sudden, everything comes down and you launch into anxiety and, and, and depression because it uncovers where you've placed your hope. You place your hope in your career, your savings, whatever it is. And then the downturn happens. You weren't ready for it. And life as you knew it just changes dramatically. I'd like to introduce you to someone that Jesus met while he lived here on earth. And he had a serious greed problem when he met Jesus. But after meeting Jesus, he completely flipped in his approach to money. You find a story in Luke 19. You can look it up later. I'm going to read a couple of passages from there. But his name is Zacchaeus. Uh, great name. Uh, the passage says he was the chief tax collector in his town, which means he was filthy rich. Both of those words apply, filthy and rich. <laughs> because tax collectors in Israel were local Jewish men who worked for Rome, who had conquered the nation. Rome levied heavy, heavy taxes on the people in their colonies that they ruled, and this left the people in poverty. The, the Roman Empire, the Roman tax system, depended on officials like Zacchaeus to extract the taxes from their town. And in the mind of the people of Jericho, which is where Jesus was when he met Zacchaeus, in the mind of the people of Jericho, um, Zacchaeus was on the same moral level as a drug lord who preys on the people in the inner city and keeps them at a level of poverty. That's that. So the people around Zacchaeus, this is how they looked at him. He's scum of the earth, this guy. He's filthy rich, but the scum of the earth. Backed by military force, the tax collectors were allowed to demand much more money than they were required to give to Rome. And so they did. They, they were the wealthiest people in their society and the most hated these guys were hated, despised, despicable. Um, they were willing to live with that because they loved their money. They loved them some money. They did. That was good to them. That's what they wanted. Zacchaeus also was the chief tax collector, the arch tax collector, like the head of a local mob family. That's kind of the category he would be in in our society. He was the chief. Now, why would anyone do this job? Why would, he, why would he take this job? Greed. That's it. He was greedy. 
he was a little guy. Zacchaeus was a little man. And um, when when he heard that Jesus was coming to Jericho and found out where Jesus was going to be speaking from, he climbed a tree so that he could see over the crowd. So he, uh, Zacchaeus is in a tree so he could see over the heads of the crowd. This shows how much he wanted to see Jesus and wanted to hear what he has to say. He wanted to connect with him so badly that he, he climbed a tree. Now, I, I heard this, first time I heard this story was in Sunday school, and I thought, that is the coolest thing. <laughs> I can relate to Zacchaeus. Um, he climbed a tree, and I climbed trees. Actually, I went to kindergarten with both arms broken because I fell out of a tree <laughs> like that. You know, so Zacchaeus and I, we hung out. We were willing to, I mean, we could hang out up in the tree. I thought that was the coolest thing. But you, you have to grasp what this meant for a guy in his society. For a man in his culture, honor and dignity are the highest values. So dignity is very, very important. And to understand the significance of his move to climb the tree, a grown man climbing a tree is humiliating. That's humiliating. And so here's a guy who wanted to see Jesus and connect with him so badly that he was willing to humiliate himself in order to to connect with him and to see him and to hear what he has to say. So that tells you something about what's going on here. I didn't get that in Sunday school. (laughs) In Sunday school, I thought, that is awesome. Little guy climbs a tree. I want to be up there with him. But no, that's what he says. And then... In Luke 19:5 it says when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Now let's let's pause. I want to I want you to understand what's going on here as well. It's fascinating that Jesus said this to him because the crowd is made up of many respectable and religious people in that city. And all of the respectable religious people feel superior to all of the prostitutes and the tax collectors that are in the crowd as well. And so Jesus comes to the place where he's going to teach. And he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. And he invites the most notorious sinner in the crowd to, to eat with him. That's an act of friendship. He's saying, hey, Zacchaeus, let's get some time together. I'd really like to get to know you better. I'd I'd like to be your friend. That's what's going on in that story. That's kind of an amazing thing, isn't it? The rest of the crowd, at least the religious and respectable people, they didn't like that move. (laughs) The passage tells us that they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Check out what Zacchaeus says to Jesus in Luke 19, 8-10, then what Jesus says to him. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. 
since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is a fascinating exchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus was invited by Jesus to visit with him and to eat with him, he probably didn't bring it to the forefront of his mind, but what he just experienced was the grace of God. He experienced the grace of God. Because out of all the people in the crowd that Jesus could have chosen, he chooses Zacchaeus, the most notorious sinner. Zacchaeus knew how he was looked at. Zacchaeus felt the, the, the guilt and the shame of the way he had lived and the way he had become filthy rich. <laughs> and um, in this moment, when Jesus invited him to eat with him, he realized that God's salvation, the way into a relationship with God, even though we've sinned, even though we've gone our own way, tried to live life our own way, tried to get ahead in wrong ways, tried to handle things out of order in the wrong way, even though we've done that, it's the grace of God that allows us to relate to him that's been shown to us in Jesus Christ. That all, in a moment, impacted Zacchaeus. He, he began to realize, he realized in that moment what was going on. And so when Zacchaeus experiences the grace of God from Jesus, a greedy man in a greedy occupation gives half of his income to the poor and promised to pay back those he had cheated 300%. So he, he responds by doing something with the number one thing in his life, money. <laughs> when he comes in touch with the grace of God, what the response is, here, you, you can have the most important thing in my life right here. I want to use it differently from here on out. Now, Jesus' comment, we, I want to take some time to think about what he says. He says, today... Salvation has come to this house. Now, we need to think about this to understand what he's saying. What he's saying is, this is evidence that salvation has come to Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't say, notice this, take note of this. He didn't say, if you give 50% of your income to the poor and pay back those you've cheated, 300%, you'll be saved. Salvation doesn't come after we change. But a changed life flows out of the grace of God that we find, that we come in contact with when we decide to follow Christ, when we decide to connect with him. That, that's the way it works. It's the grace of God that motivates us to put him first in our lives and the way we live. And that's what comes out. It's important to understand that. Um, If salvation is something you earn through obedience, Zacchaeus would have asked, how much do I have to give in order to be saved? How much do I have to give in order to be accepted by God? How can I get into your good graces, Lord? How can I do that? That's not what happened. Instead, he thought, how much can I give? 
what can I do? Because he had already been accepted by the living God in the grace of Jesus Christ. So that's an important thing to understand. If we're going to avoid the explosions that come by handling money selfishly, we need to experience the grace of God, and we need to make God our number one priority. In this moment, Jesus replaced money as Zacchaeus' Savior. He's willing to do almost anything. He was willing to be hated by everybody around them, him in order to, to get money. And he realized the true value of money. It came into focus as he met the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And he realized it's a tool for doing good, so I'm just going to start doing good with it right now, and here's how I'm going to do it. This, this is what flowed from this encounter. It's not something we use for ourselves. So it's the grace of God that's the major motivator to put God first. And what you see here in Zacchaeus' exchange with Jesus is, is you see that God is the number one priority, and it shows up in his, in his money. The first of the Ten Commandments says, um, you shall have no other gods before me. And prior to this encounter with Jesus, money was number one with Zacchaeus. And it flipped. God became number one. Money became, was put in its place. And it was something now that he, he uses to do with what God wants. So the right order is this. God first. Everyone and everything else comes after him. If, if we choose this, this protects us from making a God out of something that, or someone that cannot give us the grace that only God can give. That's, that's why God said, you shall have no other gods before you. Because he's the only one that's going to give you what you need to make it through life. He's the only one that is going to pour out the grace in your life. He's the only God. He's the only real God. He's the only one that can handle that. If we settle this issue and make God the number one priority in our lives, this sets us up to experience his favor and blessing in life. It will not be a perfect life. There will be trouble in it. There will be brokenness. There will be struggle. There will be problems. But he will prove that he can be trusted to bring good in the midst of all of those things if we do life his way. That's what was happening with Zacchaeus. I'm flipping now. I'm going to flip it upside down. I'm going to put money in its place, and I'm going to make you number one, God, because I know you're going to make this good for me, whatever's going on in my life. King Solomon, Israel's third king, who lived about a thousand years before Jesus, wrote most of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And um, Proverbs was written basically to show us how to live wisely. So we're going to dig into that and, and look at the order that God gives for handling our money. There, there's an order that he, he shows us in Proverbs. And King Solomon paints a picture of the good things God's wants, God wants to bring as we handle money God's way. So let's read Proverbs 3, 5, and 10 together, 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. He's the number one factor in the choices you make. You trust in him with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, you, you, you're not gonna, to acknowledge God means I'm going to do life his way. When you do that, he makes you straight paths, straight toward the goal, what you really want, the life you really want. You acknowledge him, you do it his way, and he takes you straight to what you really want in life and what you really need. Be, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We get wise in our own eyes, start playing with fire financially when we assume we know what's best and uh, we handle it the way we think best. You know, I, I've chased some financial fantasies. How about you? You know, you ever, you ever had some dreams financially? We tend to look for the magic key that's just get a hold of this and things are going to come together. It's going to bring it all together. This, this plan right here, this, I'm on a good plan. This plan's going to work out. I know it is. And if I just can work this plan, how many of you have had those kind of, no, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> scared myself. I, I scared you. <laughs> you thought I was going to ask, hey, how are you? Well, okay, I'm raising my hand. I have, okay? I've had the dream. I want it to come together and, uh, you know, it happens. Credit is one of the easiest ways to get wise in your own eyes. And it gets things out of order. I don't have to wait. I can have it right now. I can have that gadget, I can have that car, I can do whatever it is, whatever's a part of my dream. I can enjoy it right now, I don't have to wait. But most of the time we pay at least 50% more interest, 50% more for the item if we pay out over time. And we still are paying when the stuff's used up. Uh, I I got in a situation like that with a car, I'm not going to tell you the story, but... That's painful. You know, you, the car is dead, and you're still paying on it. Or at least you're paying for major repairs as you still pay on the car. I don't know. I've been there. It's a bummer. But credit can get us into trouble. It seemed like a good idea, but now it's a mountain of debt that just is eating away at our well-being, and we're carrying it around like a big load. It's heavy load. It's wearing us down. Solomon lays out God's promise to those who trust him instead of themselves. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In other words, to fear the Lord, I think it said, fear the Lord and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Fearing the Lord means that you take him seriously. In other words, you factor him in as the number one factor in whatever's going on in your life. That's what it means to fear, fear God. It doesn't mean that you're you know, afraid he's going to squash you. What it means is you take him so seriously that as you look at your money and how you're going to use it and handle it, you realize he's the number one factor in what's going on there. But anyway, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh. And refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. There's a clear connection here between stress and our overall health. 
when we're trying to come up with a winning plan with our money, when we're trying to figure out how to do it, we're feeling the weight and the pressure of it. Everything depends on us. Stress goes through the roof. What would it be like to take a deep breath just and realize God's in control? What what would that be like? Can you imagine that? Just trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. How great would that be if we did that? He will lead us toward peace and good with our money if we trust him with it. The passage gives us an order for handling our money. There's an order in there. It says to give first. Now this goes against the grain of our natural way of thinking. But it says... Give first before we do anything else with our money. Why, why first? Why do, we, why do we need to give first? Because when we give first, it's tied directly to the number one priority in our life. You shall have no other gods before me. It's tied to the fact that God is number one. There's another passage that says we, we give the tithe first because it teaches us to always keep God number one in our life. It's what it teaches. It's a reminder. So we get a paycheck. We write a, a giving check off the top. That's the order in the scripture. The right order in the passage is not spending first. Enjoying a night out, some entertainment, toys, bills, gadgets, whatever. It's not saving first. Making sure... Our barns are full, our retirement's covered, buying investments, it's giving first. That, that's the right order. And then as you give first and learn to handle the other percentage of your money the right way, God promises to take care of you. You find his blessing and his provision. He, he will provide. If you put him first, he will provide for you. I'd like to look at some ways to honor God with our money. I'd like to wrap up with some of the practical ways that we can handle our money in the right order. First of all, we honor God with money by putting God first in life. That's the key. Zacchaeus, there was this instantaneous, in his life, it was an instantaneous decision to put God first and to give the money to the poor and to pay people back. But that's evidence that God's number one. But that comes first, getting your relationship with with God straightened out and, and making him number one comes before the giving part. So that, that's the priority. This, this is really the crucial starting point in, in all of this. If you've never yielded control of your life to God, if you've never given him your life, given your life back to him, (laughs) the one who made you, if you've never trusted him, this is where you start. We we would love to help you get clarity on that, what it means to decide to follow Christ, what it looks like, how to make him boss of your everyday life. We we would love to uh, give you some help. 
with figuring that out. If you've already made the decision to put God first, then your giving is an expression of your trust in God. So that, that's the order. This, this comes first. If you're in the process of considering him, what it means to follow Christ, making him Lord, means that you're willing to give off the top. That you're willing to give first. That's part of what it means to make Jesus Lord. When Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, you put him in the center of your life, and he becomes, he becomes the boss. He begins to call the shots. The way you do relationships, the way you handle family life, your work life, your money, and your finances. He, he caught, this is, so part of following Christ means I'm going to make him number one. I'm, I'm going to put him at the top. I'm going to give first. That, that's really, though, getting your relationship with God straight and deciding to give your life back to him is really the priority for all of us. And then the change, just like Zacchaeus, the change flows after that decision. The change comes when we meet the grace of God and we decide, God, you're, you made me. I'm giving myself back to you. Here it is. And then the other flows. But once you put God first, you honor him with your money by handling it in the right order. Uh, it's up to us to direct the flow of our money. Otherwise, it will compete with God for first place. John Maxwell, who's a leadership expert, he says this, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. That's <laughs> all it is. Budget, painful. Takes a while to learn to work with a budget. Takes a while to figure out how to pull that off. But that's really what it is. You're, you're directing your money in the way that you have decided it should go rather than just letting the month happen as you spend your your paycheck and use it god has shown us in scripture the right order for handling our money it's give then save then use for living that that's the order um give first the pattern of giving in the bible is to give a tithe which means give 10 percent of your income. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That's what the passage says that we just looked at. You give to the Lord off the top, not the leftovers at the end of the month, but you give to the Lord off the top. That's a statement of faith. You're saying, God, here it is. Here's here's my my tithe, here's my giving, and I'm going to trust you. To make everything else work out. And, and there are story after story of those who've chosen to do that in our congregation. God comes through. He, he's faithful to do that. For many, this is one of the most frightening steps of obedience. Oh, I, I got to write the check or hit the bill pay button or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is or send the payment. Oh, that's scary. But when you take this step and build the pattern over time, it's a major significant turning point in your faith journey. Because you begin to experience the fact that God is real. He's not checked out. He's not just up there in heaven telling us what to do and watching whether we do it or not. When we obey him, we experience his provision. We experience his blessing, and we ourselves 
find out that God's real. We were talking about that in the last series. You know, convictions are built through experience. This is one of the ways that you become convinced that God really is who he says he is. Now, you may not be at the point where you have the faith to give a full tithe. That's 10%. What God really wants us to do and what many of us here have done is not only do, do we give 10%, we don't stop there. We give more. We try to just keep giving more and more because we find out you cannot get past God. You cannot outgive him. You give, he gives back. He, he blesses this way. This is the way he is. But you may not be at the point where you have the faith to give a full tithe. I, I, that's understandable. I'd encourage you to pick a percentage because a percentage represents the whole. Pick a percentage to start with and ask God to grow your faith to give a full tithe. Take some time with, with God to wrestle with the issue. If you don't have a giving plan, take this before God and come up with a plan. Search the scriptures and respond to him. So give first, save next. We're not going to get into how to save all the ways that you can, but scripturally, God lays out in many places the value of prudence, and the value of, uh, of prudence related to money is savings, both short-term and long-term. And a great book to read is Your Money Map by Howard Dayton. We have a picture of it, I think, for the screen. Uh, Your Money Map uh, gives some great advice on uh, all, all of the things we're talking about, giving, saving, and then how to budget and do that thing, which is the next thing, um, spend last. So we give first, we save next, and we spend last. Spending, paying down debt, monthly bills, food, entertainment. The Dayton book gets into all of these areas, giving, saving, and then spending. Your money map can help you move from a haphazard approach to a focused plan with your money that God can use to grow you and teach you to trust him. And he, he will. I, I, I know he will. The final way that we honor God in handling our money is to thank God daily for providing enough. Money has all sorts of uses. It, it has many good ways. There are many good ways attached to money that we can use it. One is giving to advance God's kingdom and purpose. It's the way God wants us to provide for our families. We can help people when they're hurting. The Bible tells us to buy up opportunities to get wisdom. We buy books. We go to conferences. We, we spend money to learn and gain the wisdom that he has for us in life. Um, he, he gives our money and wants us to enjoy it. That's another use of money. He, he doesn't want us to just get all burdened and worn out with the money that God's given us. He wants us to enjoy things. He wants us to enjoy this life. He gives us life and breath and all that we have. This is a good reason to thank God, the one who provides for us. God intends for our money and the way we handle it to bring blessing to ourselves and those around us. Keeping things in the right order is a giant leap toward experiencing the joy of following him in this arena and the way to avoid explosions <laughs> and the damage that can come from them. As I wrap up the message today, I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take out your connection card 
and finish completing anything on there that you haven't had an opportunity to, to fill out. And as the band comes up, I'd like to point out some next steps for you uh, on this card that I've, I've put out there. My next step today, the first one, is to start handling my money in the right order, to give first. Maybe you haven't been giving first and you've decided to follow uh, Christ already. You've got your relationship with God straightened out and, and you, you just need to start giving first. Start with a full tithe for the next four months or see what God does. Pick another percentage. But if you give first, you're going to begin to realize that God's real and he, he blesses in proportion to your giving in many ways. And then another step would be to thank God every day this week for providing enough. We're all here. We're still breathing. We're still, you know, we're able to smile. I don't know if we're all smiling, but we're able to smile. We're able to enjoy life that God's given us. Thank God every day for providing enough for us. And then what you might want to do is automate your giving based on the decision to give God first. You make that decision and you can just Put it in bill pay or set it up. You can go to our website and set up automatic giving. But that's something you could do. If you have never come to the point where you've decided to follow Christ as Lord and experienced his grace, the grace of God in Christ, and you'd like to know more information, there's a place on the back of the connection card, too, where you can say, I'd like info about beginning a relationship with with Jesus. We'd love to help with that. That'd be fantastic. Um, next week, uh, we're going to look at sex, playing with fire. So it's going to be like a PG-rated message, probably. So I just want to give you a heads up if you want to bring. Yeah, if you don't, maybe you don't want to bring the kids in. I don't know. But it's not going to be that that scary. But I just wanted to let you know if if you're concerned about your kids hearing the word sex, and then begin to ask you what was he talking about then you might want to make sure they're, they're not in here. <laughs> but that's coming up next week. Uh, there's some real help in Scripture for making the most of sex. It's a PG-13 situation. Uh, actually, there's, there's an R-rated book in the Bible. I'll tell you what it is next week maybe. but uh, it's, 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 it's a good one. But it's, it's all about romance and sex and keeping it in the right order. Because... These are good things. Money, God intends it to be a good thing. Sex, very good thing. It was his idea. And he, he, he wants us to be blessed by it. But you have to keep it in the right order or it will blow up in your face. So we're going to look at that next week. Thanks for being here. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truths we find in your word that really do set us free. And they're backwards, they're upside down. But God, you give us the help we need to choose to do right before you. May you be honored in the way we live our lives. And may you show yourself, God, more and more to those who haven't yet experienced your reality, God. Those who are here that haven't, may you show yourself to be real and true. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.